Hello and welcome to Dinesh Guarda Cities ABC Open Business Council series. We are a fast-growing YouTube podcast thought leadership channel focused on profiling global leading, inspiring uh, people, CEOs, authors, technologists, academics, and the global leaders changing and creating solutions to our world. We highlight ideas, products, inventions, software, books, and solutions to the multiple challenges, opportunities we face with our cities, our nations, with the advent of all these emerging technologies, especially the areas of fourth industrial revolution, society 5.0, digital transformation related topics, and especially areas like uh, AI, blockchain, fintech, IoT, and so forth. This podcast series are produced and distributed on citiesabc.com and openbusinesscouncil.org and syndicated on intelligenthq.com, fashionabc.org, hedgefink.com and tradersdna.com. Uh, I want to welcome today to um, Khalid Saad, that is a fintech venture and ecosystem builder that is joining us from Bahrain in Middle East, a great country. And as well, uh, so Khalid has a fantastic bio uh, that comprehends very high, high positions, especially in the fintech area, but as well in the areas of insurance, entrepreneurship, and so forth. So he's a fintech entrepreneur and advisor that is passionate about creating new ventures and creating existing ones. And he has been working closely over the years with enormous uh, startups and companies on their digital and market entry strategies. He is a board member of Oqual Bahrain chapter, which is the largest and most active angel investing network in Bahrain um, and Saudi Arabia and soon in the region. And the recently he is as well a member of the Finance, Insurance and Tax Committee of the Bahrain Chamber and uh, is involved in different platforms, including exchanges that probably will speak a bit about it. Um, recently, Khalid Saab uh, was the founding chief executive of the Bahrain Fintech Bay which is the largest fintech platform in the MENA region. And he also the Bahrain first fintech platform, developing platform, which brings together around 100 different stakeholders from the public and private sector. And of course, these stakeholders are the major companies in both finance and technology and telecoms. And as well as been looking at areas like blockchain, data analytics, robot advisory, crypto assets, crowdfunding, artificial intelligence, and payments. And uh, his CV is quite impressive, so we'll uh, highlight these parts. So welcome to our series, Khalid. It's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, thank you, Denise. The pleasure is mine, and I'm glad to be with you here today. So I'm looking forward. I think you are the first person we are interviewing from Bahrain. So actually, it's a country that I actually did a couple of events, but uh, I, I'm looking forward. I think it's interesting as well to highlight the country. And of course, you are an ambassador to the country. And I know that it's very strong in finance and technology. And it's been actually becoming actually a leader in these areas worldwide in terms of a lot of studies and research that has been done. So I want to start by a bit of a background about you. Khalid Saad, born and bred here in Bahrain. I spent some time obviously in, in the UK studying and doing some work over there. Uh, at university, obviously, I had a passion for uh, computers and software. So naturally speaking, I went to study a mixture of computer science and electronic engineering. So that was my background for my bachelor's degree. I thought it was also very important to, to balance that with also experience in management and get a bit of a grounding in entrepreneurship. So that's, that's what, what I did my master's 
in. So I attended both the University of Exeter and Imperial College London, both in the UK. Interestingly enough, throughout my career, I haven't actually gone into a field related to computer science specifically, but it was always that, that uh, let's call it passion and love for, for computers and software that I, I still cherish and hold. So I started my career in London in a company called SEI. Uh, that, that is, you know, both an investment house and a technology house at the same time. Uh, and I was part of the investment management unit looking at UK and European equities there. So I spent some time there. For family reasons, I moved back uh, to Bahrain and I joined Ernst & Young in their advisory practice. So we're doing a lot of feasibility studies, uh, strategy documents, uh, business plans, private placement memorandums for for companies that were looking to enter uh, specifically also different segments, but particularly financial services. From there, I decided I wanted to give back to Bahrain in a different way and, and kind of shift my career a bit. Uh, so I moved to the uh, Economic Development Board, which is a semi-government agency that is chaired by His Royal Highness the Crown Prince of Bahrain and Prime Minister, uh, Salman bin Hamad al-Khalifa, and the mandate of uh, the Economic Development Board over the years was to help attract investment into Bahrain, so it was the main investment promotion arm, but also at the same time, I had an economic development mandate. So for, for me, that was very interesting, uh, and specifically, uh, during my years in the Economic Development Board, I was part of the financial services team, and... Uh, as you probably know, Denise Bahrain is a, a major financial hub in the region. Uh, we've been a very big hub here since the, the 70s uh, and, and remain so, especially a very big banking hub. Uh, but also there's a lot of insurance and asset management and other types of financial services. So this was a very interesting uh, mandate where one of the things that we did was not only help attract different investments uh, into Bahrain, into the financial services sector, whether it's, you know, banks, asset managers, insurance, uh, support companies for financial services, and at a later stage, obviously, FinTech came up. But also, at the same time, we worked with the existing sector, with the regulators, the lawyers, and others, to see how we can further develop this sector forward, you know, promote Bahrain further, and address, you know, any issues uh, or things that needed to be addressed and help position Bahrain even more strongly. Uh, throughout the years, obviously, that was a mandate, but also one, one important thing happened was the promotion of, of FinTech. And obviously, as you very well know, the dynamics uh, have significantly changed post the global financial services crisis, obviously. And I think also at the same time, the oil price slide has made people look very differently at the way they do business. And obviously the modus operandi has, has changed. So obviously it was very important to, to help one develop awareness of the need to think about FinTech, the need to embrace FinTech, but also, uh, you know, also importantly, to put in the right regulatory framework and place. And so uh, what has happened over the years was Economic Development Board worked hand-in-hand hand with the Central Bank of Bahrain and with the industry uh, to help 
start putting in place the building blocks to develop this ecosystem. And the amazing thing is there's uh, support right from the top of government, uh, which makes things, uh, you know, very useful. It helps build that momentum. And as a country, we view this transition very importantly. So over, over the years, what has happened, uh, whilst I was in the Economic Development Board, we started seeing uh, the industry being more interested in fintech. Some of them were very interested that they started partnering with fintechs. Others uh, had to learn more about uh, what fintech is, the new types of fintech, and why they should adapt it. At the same time, the Central Bank of Bahrain has played an instrumental role in developing a regulatory framework that is conducive to developing the fintech ecosystem. And what is important and distinguishing about the Central Bank when it first did this is that it's a national regulator, it's onshore, we're not operating independently in different zones. Everything that is happening with the Central Bank is happening at a uh, national level. And obviously started with creating a regulatory sandbox that has opened the door to new types of companies to enter the market and for the ecosystem to mix with. That led to the creation of a FinTech unit and a whole raft of different regulations, also culminating in open banking. Now, for me specifically, uh, this was obviously very interesting because you, know, you don't really that often get a chance to witness a whole transformation and I think this is a generational transformation where we're going from one era to the other and and obviously that excited me now what what was important was uh, while I was working the EDB I also had the opportunity to to work on the concept of the development of Bahrain Fintech Bay obviously and that bridged obviously uh, the economic development board with efforts with private companies, and this was privately managed, and also brought the industry together. And the vision was, how can we create a neutral platform that brings in government, brings in the private sector, fintech startups together to one, create a shared agenda to develop the sector forward, to help promote Bahrain, to help expose people to different innovations and ideas, but also more importantly, to, to help companies and startups you know, start, grow, and potentially thrive, hopefully, uh, in the country and from the country to the region. Because Bahrain is a springboard. You know, we want to connect ourselves to the other ecosystems that are also looking to develop. So when we developed FinTech Bay, uh, we developed it in such a way where it had the freedom to, to, to run as a hub, but also was integrated with all the different key stakeholders. And we put our hands with our regional uh, counterparts in different jurisdictions, and we started working together with them, sharing ideas, so that, as I always like to say, together we grow stronger. And we started seeing flows of different companies coming in. And the good thing is, it gained a lot of traction. It garnered a lot of attention. People started asking a lot of questions. FinTech started uh, becoming on the, getting on the agenda, which is excellent. So I, I took that opportunity to transition naturally from my role on the Economic Development Board to become uh, the CEO, uh, founding CEO of Bahrain Fintech Bay. And that, that was for me a very fruitful uh, moment 
where firsthand you can see the fruits of, of this transition. And, and for me, I personally have a passion in terms of, and I discovered this over the last you know, few years, working with startups, helping people that, that have interesting ideas, guiding them and hopefully seeing them succeed. And also at the same time, it was really good to see that Bahrain was uh, constantly being mentioned as a up and rising fintech and start, uh, startups hub. And as we transition more into a digitally and innovation driven economy, uh, it was only befitting that uh, the largest non-oil and gas sector, which is financial services sector, and the second largest uh, sector and contributor to our GDP is, is the driver of this transformation. And with COVID-19, unfortunately for, for the world, this pandemic has been terrible, but what, what it has done was highlight the importance of all of the foundational work that has happened over the past few years between the different stakeholders in the country uh, has highlighted the importance of having that foundation because now it has been, uh, because of COVID-19, we've seen an, an acceleration of digitalization and financial transactions in the country. Earlier this year, uh, after working unofficially and officially on FinTech Bay for three years, I decided that I wanted to uh, jump and become an independent financial advisor help support uh, different companies and their marketing growth strategies, and also individually start exploring a few ideas uh, that, I, the, that I can also look at. Uh, we played a role in, in developing the ecosystem, but I also want to now play a different role, but a complementary role also uh, in this ecosystem. So I, I left FinTech Bay in the end of January, so the beginning of February. And I've, I do some advisory work for uh, some technology companies to explore a few concepts and to help them in market entry strategies and also business development initiatives. I've also been fortunate enough to be a board member of Uqal. Uqal in Arabic is a combination of Uqul and Amwal, which means brains and money. And this angel investment network was founded in Saudi Arabia as the largest angel network in Saudi Arabia and it's the largest in the region. And they also opened a Bahrain chapter of which I sit on the board. And the idea is how can we further uh, bridge the funding gap and start helping companies at both the seed round and uh, pre-series A round, potentially a series A depending. Uh, so that's that's something that that we've been doing successfully, and uh, we've fortunately helped companies raise good rounds recently. So that's one thing where I'm contributing directly. the The other thing is I recently became a member of the Finance, Insurance, and Tax Committee of the Bahrain Chamber, or what is also known as the Bahrain Chamber of Commerce and Industry. So it's the umbrella for all businesses in Bahrain, and the idea there is how can we further also support the fintech ecosystem by also engaging the business community further. I am also an independent board member of a soon to be launched uh, crypto assets company. That's something I'm, I'm really proud of. Uh, and uh, we see a lot of potential obviously in the space and crypto assets and blockchain obviously represent uh, an important segment of, of fintech uh, of the future. 
And so I'm excited uh, about doing that too. And I'm also supporting multiple startups at different aspects of their growth. So that's in an extended nutshell, uh, kind of my, my journey. It's a completely unscripted journey. Have you asked me when I was in university, was this the route that I thought I would take? Absolutely not. But, uh, but I thought, you know, most importantly, life is all about experiences. And I'm sure, as you know, Denise, you know, trying different things at different times, uh, I think it's, it's refreshing and challenging also at the same time. I respect a lot the, the work you've been doing for your country, which is very important because you, uh, Bahrain has been positioned itself as one of the leading countries in, in all these areas of innovation of fintech. Uh, you mentioned digital currencies, digital assets, and as well... Uh, powerhouse internationally both in terms of regulation and in terms of creating a lot of new solutions for technology and solutions for society so i would like to just give a, a bit of context because um, of course you are very uh, involved with Bahrain, but for people worldwide i'm in london i'm sure we have people listening to us worldwide so tell us a bit about Bahrain. i think it's probably for most of people in the exotic place in the middle east but they don't know much about it so i think uh, just a bit of context about uh, the country, especially in terms of business and, and finance and technology, because I know that is, and I have a lot of technical questions, but I would like to start with this kind of more broader for someone that uh, knows little about the country. Sure. So uh, Bahrain, or formerly known as the Kingdom of Bahrain, we're the smallest country in the Middle East, the MENA region, and you know we're one of the smallest countries in the whole world. We're slightly larger than Singapore, slightly larger. Uh, geographically, so we're an island nation. Uh, naturally, it was 33 islands. Obviously, as the country grew, it has more artificial islands to help further the development of the country. Uh, Bahrain has always been a, a pioneering country uh, and has always been a trading hub and a melting pot of different cultures for millennia. And uh, that has helped expose Bahrainis and the country to a lot of different cultures, a lot of different uh, business ethos, and, and that has helped us develop uh, over the years. Uh, Bahrain was the first to actually discover oil in the whole region, but we were the first also to diversify away from oil because obviously it's fantastic to have oil, but it's very important to, to diversify your economy. And so we went into a lot of different industries decades ago, uh, whether it's manufacturing, aluminum, the services industry, uh, financial services. So Bahrain uh, became a very, very large and significant financial hub starting from the 70s uh, till today. Uh, and obviously it, it, it is still very significant and a thriving business hub. We're part of the Gulf Cooperation Council, uh, the GCC, which uh, has six countries. And obviously, we are connected to the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia by a 25-kilometer causeway. Uh, and we're pretty much 45 minutes away from uh, the Kingdom's eastern province, where half of Saudi Arabia's GDP comes from. And we're four hours away by car from Riyadh. And... Within an hour, an hour and a half maximum to all the different GCC capitals. Uh, Bahrain has always, you know, uh, been open. Uh, we 
have allowed uh, entrepreneurs and business people to, to own their companies completely here onshore, so, you know, owning 100% of your company in pretty much more or less every sector. Uh, we've always been consistently ranked by the different expat surveys and surveys as one of the best places to live in the world uh, and especially ranked very highly for social and family life and financial welfare. And so it's, it's a very welcoming place. Our population is around 1.5 million, of which roughly 50% uh, are locals, 50% uh, are foreigners, probably slightly more foreigners than, than locals. Uh, and so it's a very cosmopolitan place. Uh, and it's always been linked uh, to, to different markets and different cultures in the world. And this is the sort of ethos and uh, mentality that we will continue to move down through very strongly. From in terms of financial infrastructure, we've got uh, just under 400 licensed financial institutions. These include banks, insurance companies, asset managers, um, fund services, trusts, support services, or what we call ancillary services, and and now more so, growingly, we're getting more fintechs that are getting involved uh, into the country. Uh, on, a, in a, on a sporting note, um, we actually hosted, were the first to host in the region a Formula One race. Uh, and now, if I'm not mistaken, it's been 16, either 16 or 17 years since we've hosted the, the first race. We're having Formula One race this weekend and the weekend after. So it's uh, Bahrain is a very important also uh, uh, sporting destination and very significant when it comes to, to motorsport. So I think uh, in terms of a nutshell, uh, this is Bahrain. And obviously from the major capitals, you know, we're six and a half hour flight from London, six hours from Paris and to the far east. Uh, you know, we're six to seven hours. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're located... Very strategically, you can, if you zoom in on the map of the Middle East, you can see a, uh, a very small dot that is Bahrain. We might be small in size, but we're very big in ambition. It's wonderful. And I, I like that passion and as well, the way you summarize it. You did a fantastic work to promote your country worldwide. So I appreciate that. I think it, it gives a bit of context because, of course, I know about it, but a lot of people, uh, like you said, uh, see a dot in the, in the map. But I think uh, especially people that are in the financial world, have a huge respect for the country for all the achievements and as well, like you mentioned, a lot of cutting edge things happening there. So I want to go through, coming back to your profile and thank you for that uh, introduction. Um, in terms of the, the, at the moment you're creating a new uh, platform and as well, a lot of things related to fintech ventures and ecosystem builder. Do you want to highlight anything you're doing presently besides some of the advisory work that you're doing? Where should I, I want to go after that? So, so, Pretty much, I think uh, I'm helping a few startups one raise funding. I so that's that's one thing I'm pretty passionate about, uh, and I you know I do this because I see there's a lot of potential one to get these startups up and running. I believe in the industries that uh, they're involved in and and their capability to transform that. So that's one thing that. Uh, I'm doing at the moment besides what we've talked about on an individual level, but also at the same time, I'm, I like exploring new, new concepts. So obviously when thinking about ideas, whether individually or 
or different partners. We go to the drawing board, piece of paper, start framing ideas, uh, whether in, in FinTech or not in FinTech and start developing a feasibility to see whether these are ideas that can uh, fly. So that's, that's something that, 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 that I'm currently doing uh, more interestingly enough. And obviously I wanna expand on that later on. And uh, you know, as I mentioned, one of the things that I'm doing, which, which I'm interested about is obviously uh, helping this, uh, get this uh, crypto assets company off the ground with, with the founding team. Uh, and that, that's been a very fruitful exercise. And that's, that's something that I, I look forward to, to continuing. Uh, and, I, and I find it very important where, you know, people that have ambition, that have good ideas, need, need and need the right support and direction. That's something that I find very fulfilling. Uh, and whether that requires me to, to get involved uh, more on the ground level, that's, that's something that I, I, I always look at, depending on a case-by-case -case basis. So that's, that's where I am. And I always get, stay connected to the different ecosystem, uh, also give, give different uh, interviews and highlight the, the, the changing regional dynamics and what is going on on the ground, whether here in Bahrain or in the region. So that's something that I'm looking forward to, to continuing down the line doing. Amazing. And I think definitely your profile shows that dynamics. So one of the things I'm particularly interested in is that uh, so networks of business, uh, chambers of commerce, business and finance are critical for our world. Any business that wants to position themselves needs to work with these areas. And actually, that's the, the vision we've been building with the Open Business Council and Cities ABC is creating digital chambers of commerce, let's put it that way, a digital business. So from your experience, in these chambers of commerce where you've been actually CEO of one of them and as well making liaison with a lot of others and advising, what would be some of the highlights you want to share with us? Because I think that's particularly interesting to, I think anyone in the world to, to highlight this, but a lot of these digital events or at least this kind of chambers are very offline. They don't have the digital part. So I would like to hear, especially someone that is so in-depth um, involved in FinTech and digital, what would be the highlights and as well some of the things you want to share with us, especially from there to the world? Yeah, absolutely. No, I think, I think that's a very good question. Uh, from, from the experience that I obviously had previously also, I think what was important was, especially if we're talking about the new industries, industrial fourth revolution, you talked about uh, social 5.0, you know, we're talking about, new ways of doing business, very different modus operandi, new technologies that are changing rapidly, regulation and people a lot of the times uh, can't keep up or struggle sometimes to comprehend these changing dynamics. And it's important, uh, what I found is whenever you're having different conversations is to sometimes start to highlight what is the different vision of why we're going down the route that we're going, whether you know it's a company, whether it's as a as a country, or as an industry, and then why is it relevant for them to get involved and to learn about this industry or, or new technology? Um, and you'd be surprised that you know a lot of people are willing to get involved. They either feel intimidated because uh, they they don't understand it, or they might see it incorrectly, or maybe potentially sometimes correctly as a threat. 
but so it's always important to, 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 to start at the high level, but then to find, let's call it pockets where you can get involved with these different business chambers or different associations. And so one of the things that, that, that we've done was, is, or previously also from experience is to get involved in highlighting these changing dynamics to the different associations, industries, encouraging people to, to get involved in seeing how they can participate in the development of the industry. Also, interestingly enough, sometimes getting them involved in, in the startups world, becoming angel investors. So for, if we talk about chambers of industry, they represent the whole gamut of, of different industries and, and, and verticals. And obviously, the, the question then is, how does fintech not only affect the financial services sector, but how does you know affect the, the other sectors? How does health tech affect it? So it, the the net is pretty wide, and so it it the, the the good opportunity or the good thing is that you get a buy-in from the high level, whether it's management and the board. That's I think very very important. But also at the same time, the change needs to permeate at the different levels of any organization. And, and for us, that was absolutely key. When you have that marriage between the, the guys at the top or the top of the pyramid buying into, we've got a changing world. Uh, these are new technologies. We need to put the effort to understand them, see how we can embrace them. And also importantly, deploy them, which is good. you know. But also at the same time, how do we encourage people within our organizations and our constituent members to also partake in this ecosystem. There's no easy uh, way around it, uh, Denise, but I think it takes, it takes time. I think half of the challenge of any change is building that awareness, uh, breaking down the barriers of, of, of fear, and, and, and that's important. And, and it's important also to sync from the same sheet where you have an alignment of the different sectors and the different uh, governing bodies and associations. So it, it requires a lot of advocacy work, uh, but it's also important to bring in different like-minded people that have practical experience on the ground to blend them with people that have solid track records and doing business across different sectors. So I, this for me is, I think, the, the, the single most important point of how these different associations need to be meaningfully engaged to, to help one build that belief and commitment and, and drive for change to ultimately embrace these changes and become you know, key players uh, in it. There's a lot of things we can do together, and I think I love your expression, together is strong, which is a key, I think, especially in business. I think you cannot do anything individual, and as well, countries need as well to collaborate. So coming back to Bahrain and as well, your experience, uh, both representing the country as CEO of institutions and as well involved in multiple different organizations. So I would like to, let's say, for people or organizations or companies that are interested to eventually do something in Bahrain, what be some of the, the highlights that you have for the country? Both because you are part of the networks of both business, taxes, vision, regulatory part. If you could highlight a bit on that, it would be really good. Bahrain, obviously, we talked about a small place, but I think that's also part of its unique selling point and beauty because uh, this is a, a great market that for to use as a, 
uh, springboard not only to develop business in Bahrain, but to also incubate, ideate, and then to, to push out to, to other markets and also internationally. So we've got some very solid regulations, uh, some of the best in the world, uh, uh, cert- most certainly on the financial services side under the guidance of the Central Bank of Bahrain. Uh, so that's that's one thing. We've got a thriving logistics sector, and we're strategically uh, positioned. And you know, we've got a significant aluminum uh, sector with the single largest uh, single largest aluminum site in the world. So there there are a mixture of different industries. What is important, I think, and what really distinguishes us is obviously we're cost effective in terms of setting up, doing business. But we've got phenomenal talent. And I don't say this because I'm Bahraini, but it's also acknowledged by a lot of the different uh, businesses and companies that are set up here, you know, bilingual uh, workforce that, that is, you know, working very hard, very highly educated, uh, culturally, uh, you know, open-minded and is used to mixing with a lot of different people. So it's an ideal mix of... Uh, of characteristics, talent, cost-effective, you know, from a tax perspective. At the moment, you know, there's zero corporate income tax. Uh, There's no income tax. There's no restriction on the repatriation of capital profits and dividends. There's no withholding tax. So it's a very efficient jurisdiction also from which to do business. Plus, if you set up in Bahrain, you're treated as a local company. There's a matter of if I set up a company or you set up a company with both local companies and uh, it's onshore. So you're within the jurisdiction of Bahrain from which you can also go internationally. Not only transact within the jurisdiction here, but you can also go uh, internationally. And there are also support programs for different companies uh, that are here in Bahrain. So I think this is a good, good mixture of... Uh, of characteristics that make Bahrain uh, unique. And I, I think, you know, if we talk about fintech and technology, uh, being small, this is a great place where you can really hone in the idea, uh, develop that idea for this region, cost-effective way. You can reach out to the key different stakeholders within a very short period of time. And from here, you can springboard this uh, to, to other markets. So I think that's that's also uh, very significant, especially for companies that are looking at exploring the MENA region. As the world becomes more uh, uh, geopolitical diverse, which is great, I think, for all of us. So um, one of the things I want to highlight, and, and as I would like to hear your input, so being in the bridge between fintech, blockchain, and crypto, and as well working both with insurances, with big banks and big organizations. So. I know that uh, uh, Bahrain has been uh, releasing a couple of very advanced uh, regulatory parts, especially in these areas. Is there any areas that you want just to let us know? Because I think you know better than anyone else about this. And I think it's quite, I know that especially on blockchain, cryptocurrencies and digital assets and fintech, I think you've been actually one of the cutting edge countries. I think it's in the top five or top 10 countries in the world with kind of regulatory frame for that. Yeah, absolutely. So I think... The central bank over the last few years has rolled out and taken the lead on developing regulations for some key important verticals within fintech. Uh, One of them is crypto assets. We are the only jurisdiction and onshore 
I have to add, that has crypto, full-fledged crypto assets regulations. Now, experts have, have gone over these regulations and they view them as some of, if not the most advanced in the world in terms of crypto assets. And we've seen a mixture of different companies either licensed or operating under the regulatory sandbox start trialing and testing, including crypto ATMs also. Um, so we've got the only licensed regulated uh, crypto ATMs in the whole Arab world. So that's, 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 uh, that's something uh, that is, uh, I think, cool and very important. So from, from that, that vertical, uh, we've, you know, we've developed the regulation. And globally, crypto assets are growing in prominence. Underlying technology blockchain is growing in prominence. And so, you know, Bahrain has positioned itself there. Uh, I've put in place the right checks and balances so that, you know, any, anybody operating in this field adheres to very, very strict regulations, which is very important and at the same time very much sought after. Uh, the, also, we've, you know, introduced regulations for robo-advisory or digital uh, wealth management. So that's another thing. I think the big uh, crowdfunding is another one. The very big one uh, was also open banking. And that, that also required a, a big shift. And obviously it was a strategic decision that was taken where central bank has said banks would need to start uh, adhering and getting used to the whole concept of open banking. We've seen it. Our UK has played a leading role globally. We've seen other jurisdictions also look at open banking. So that's that, that transformation starting to happen. They recently announced um, a open banking framework. So what you'd find now is a lot of uh, banks have APIs that could connect to licensed third-party players. So that's, that's the next phase where we're going to end up getting more licensed third-party players to play in the open banking space. Uh, and that, that's a paradigm shift where now you're supposed to start also sharing with the consent of clients uh, some customer information, which also presents another opportunity, one for both financial institutions, banks to start off with, but ultimately, you know, it could roll out to the other uh, verticals of financial services, but also an opportunity for fintechs that uh, want to work very closely with, uh, um, with banks in the financial services industry. So there are, there are, there are, there's a whole raft of different regulations. I think importantly also the central bank was the first regional central bank also to develop a dedicated fintech and innovation unit. Um, and they've recently also uh, launched a platform that, that looks at open APIs, which will allow uh, institutions to also interact with fintechs and start experimenting. So I, I think the, the message that I want to leave you and the audience with is We've got a forward-looking regulator that, that ensures that obviously businesses operate under the you know, highest and most robust rules and regulations. You know, uh, that's very important and significant, but it's also forward-looking and very, very uh, uh, responsive to the changes uh, globally happening. In terms of um, fintech innovation, open banking is critical, but so far, 
is still in early days. And we have, of course, all the areas of blockchain, all the areas of artificial intelligence applied to banking. But the, I think there's a bit of a, not a bit, there's a lot of struggling between the, the considered traditional banking and then the, the new innovators. If we see, for instance, have been working and actually we interview, for instance, um, yes, in Banker, which have been actually collaborating and a lot of different organizations worldwide. Um, and the Brad King had been talking about banking to bank 2.0 or right now he's in 3.0, whatever. But, uh, but I think it's, it's interesting. So there's a lot of these trends, but so far we still have like a kind of a three velocity on the financial industry. So we have in one hand traditional banks in one hand, we have the emergent new platforms like Revoluts and all these big ones that are becoming quite big worldwide. And then we have all the crypto, which is a completely different area, in some cases a bit uh, wild west. So I know that you guys have been making a bridge between the three ideologies. I think probably Bahrain and, and Singapore are probably the only ones in the world that have been very on the cutting edge. I'm talking about mainstream regulators, because then you have Switzerland, but Switzerland still depends on the, the cantons. And in UK... There's a lot of regulatory part, but not really a lot of action, uh, special on fintech, yes, but not special on blockchain and the other areas. So a bit of your insights on this from your experience as well, a bit more here on the personal level, because you, you, you are a technologist as well. No, absolutely. I, 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 I agree with you. You've described it very well. It's, it's a mixture of the three. And obviously what we started to see was uh, as, as the fintech ecosystem started developing, the traditional banks that were used to doing business in the very traditional way started realizing, okay, we might need to start not reinventing, but looking at how we can do things very differently. And we've started to see the, the changes happening and the new players that are coming in or existing players introducing new solutions started happening a lot in the retail segment. And so over the past few years, we started seeing some of the traditional banks, whether it's on the conventional or the uh, Islamic side of things, or Sharia compliant banks, uh, they started to, to look at introducing new solutions and a new way of doing business for clients. And, and that is uh, coupled with the introduction of fully digital platforms, uh, that are neo banks in this case that have come in zero branches, uh, not your traditional brick and mortar bank where you can start opening accounts and in minutes, complete the KYC, and you're off to go. And obviously, new interface, not nice, slick, very user friendly interfaces. So that changed the dynamic, and this shift has proven to be very important, especially for one, both traditional banks that have actually enabled clients opening accounts and doing businesses very quickly. You had your traditional mobile banking accounts, but now you've, you know, as you know, the Revoluts and the others, the Monzos and the other digital banks, you can open an account while you're sitting on the sofa in the middle of the night and within a few minutes, you know, you've, you've got your account. So these new digital platforms or digital-only platforms have obviously introduced competition for existing banks, but it also has helped nudge and encourage these traditional banks to develop these platforms. So during the COVID-19 uh, era, or let's call it pandemic, those that had these facilities 
have reported that they've managed to acquire new clients at multiples compared to the good days when they had, you know, relied on the traditional branch. And the regulator has, has encouraged the introduction of these new technologies and obviously the introduction of new players. Uh, an important thing also to mention here in Bahrain, we've got a national switch, so, which is called Benefit. Uh, so underlying benefit is obviously one of the most advanced payment infrastructure networks globally, you know, where we've got instantaneous uh, payments that are happening. They've also developed a national wallet. Uh, it's called Benefit Pay, uh, where everybody can start, you know, doing, transacting, sending money to each other very quickly within seconds. And businesses are now using that, whether it's tap and go, scan and pay, uh, split payments, paying at the petrol station using this application and so forth. So it's a, it's a whole ecosystem that has developed also on top of the national switch, which has helped also traditional businesses transition further into this digital realm. Uh, and you know, you can just enter a mobile number of somebody that's registered and there you go, a payment can be made instantaneously to them. When we come to the world of crypto assets and blockchain, obviously it's, it's something that is new. I think obviously people, you've got the traditional sense of you wanna be trading crypto assets, getting exposure to these crypto assets. Uh, starting to understand the underlying technologies, and obviously uh, that that's very important. Uh, and obviously, whether it's a traditional uh, crypto platform, it's a crypto ATM, but also at the same time, uh, it was important for traditional financial institutions to see how they can potentially collaborate uh, with crypto uh, asset platforms, or uh, whether it's opening bank accounts for these players, understanding how to do business with them, and so forth. And potentially in the future also doing payments or acting at, you know, as the payments rails for different types of, of payments. I think we're still at the early stage when it comes uh, to that, but that conversation uh, and collaboration has started to happen. But I think it, it will require a bit more time as this industry becomes more mainstream and the traditional industry and I think regulators globally uh, start getting used to this industry. So it's a mixture, it's a mixture of, of different things that's, that's, let's call it, moving the needle. You touched Islamic banking um, and this is something that I've been studying, uh, although I'm not an expert by any means, but I've been uh, working at the university uh, in Malaysia, the Islamic University of Malaysia. And I actually help creating a course between traditional fintech and Islamic finance. Uh, it's more than one billion people. And as well, you guys in Bahrain, you are very positioned to make the bridge between uh, Africa, which is one of the fast growing continents in all areas, and as well, the young population, all the Middle East, and as well, Asia and Southeast Asia in particular. So what are the, I know that you guys are very strong on that. Can you highlight a bit that we didn't touch that, but I, I would like to hear um, a bit of your insights. And I know that there's a lot of innovation, but as well, there's over 1, million, 1 billion people. There are uh, Islamic fintech potential clients. There's Alal economy. There's a lot of different things. I would like to hear a bit about your insights on that. Sure. So if, if I look at specifically Bahrain, obviously the central bank has been a pioneer in developing this industry, not only in Bahrain and the region, but also globally. 
uh, putting in place the right regulatory framework, forward-looking framework, uh, whether it's for banks, uh, non-banks, and even you know developing structures like the Sukuk, where a lot of institutions and sovereigns are now raising money uh, using that structure. On the fintech side, interestingly enough, uh, you'd, you'd find that a lot of Islamic or Sharia-compliant banks have been very uh, open-minded when it comes to developing fintech and adopting fintech. Uh, and I, I see it as a very good thing because if you want to think about Islamic Finance 1.0, this was the founding of the industry and then the development of the industry over the last four decades uh, or so. Uh, but now we're at the stage where what I call Islamic finance 2.0, where technology is absolutely key to further developing and growing the industry. And you mentioned, obviously, a billion people. If, if you look at, for me, the one area that really, really stands out uh, is financial inclusion. Because if you look at countries where there are significant populations of Muslims, a lot of them are unfortunately unbanked, you know, or underserved. And so the traditional model of servicing the segment uh, is not working. It's just not cost effective. You know, traditional institutions are not willing to obviously service these segments because it's very costly and very understandable. And so there is a significant opportunity to for technology, whether it's, you know, new players that are looking at servicing these segments in a Sharia compliant way or traditional Sharia compliant or Islamic banks to adopt technology to service a segment. This is a very, I think, significant opportunity. And this will be very important to help grow the industry further because ultimately you're gonna involve more people in the industry, which grows the pie. I think the other uh, important thing is when you when you structure products that are Sharia compliant, obviously the cost is higher than that of uh, conventional ones. So it's obviously got an extra layer of governance, Sharia compliance on top. So obviously with the use of of technology, that can hopefully you know hopefully and potentially the cost can be lowered down. So that also will give the industry a new impetus and an edge to also be more attractive. And so, so I think that governance play, the distribution of, of products is, is very important. And, you know, we've seen examples of uh, different Sharia compliant banks that are, um, have digital platforms or, Neo banks that are servicing clients in new ways and looking at you know incubating these in certain markets and then ultimately push it, pushing them out. So I think the industry is a, a you know it's at a uh, at a cr crossroads where it needs to grow further and technology is definitely the way forward to help it achieve that. And obviously to to service billion people and to unlock the full potential of the billion people, um, the industry needs to do things differently and, and technology and fintech are, are key in, in doing just that. No, it's very, I think it's an area you mentioned, it's one area of my passion, especially uh, financial empowerment or even business empowerment, because 
we are still in a very dual world or actually, uh, well, not dual, I think it's much more than half of the world that is still in that position because you might be financially included, but, but financially excluded, which is another yeah. area as well. So I think there's a lot of level, even in the modern world at the moment, I think if you look at the United States or even other countries that we cannot see because there are parts of the United States that are as poor as the rest of Africa. Um, so we're starting to have a very broader areas of change so so i think it's been i think we passed one hour i still have two questions it's been very exciting i want to just to and i'm sure probably i'll i'll try to see if we can have a, a um a session just about islamic banking and islamic innovation because i think it's particularly interesting even for our audience but as well uh, I'm, I'm particularly interested in that area and, and learn i like to learn so one one of the questions of course that comes and we touch a bit that the top level is so you've been involved in digital currencies and crypto exchanges and as well in blockchain it's two different areas blockchain is the technology and then we have the crypto the trading part could you tell us a bit some of your visions and some of your experience you've been having on these areas yeah so so on, um, if, I, if i look at obviously blockchain i think you know one of the things uh that we've been trying to do here and obviously in, in the region also, which I think is important, um, is to kind of try to bring it down to a certain level where people will understand the, the fundamentals of blockchain. They keep hearing about it, how it's going to be revolutionary, transform industries, economies, etc. But the idea was how can we then spread awareness in terms of understanding that? Because, you know, sometimes uh people mix crypto with blockchain it starts becoming a gray area and they cannot separate them so one is looking at the underlying technologies and understanding them trying to help industry industries and businesses understand blockchain and how they could potentially use it defining use cases etc so on the educational and awareness side of things um uh, there, there was a lot, obviously, different initiatives that took place. It still needs some time, I think, to, to pick up. Uh, but I think as we move quicker towards uh, a more digitalized world, uh, applications for it are going to grow in importance, not only in the private sector, but also in the public sector, especially when it comes to uh, man managing operations, being more transparent and cost-effective. So... I've seen a lot of different blockchain companies that have come, you know, different consortia uh, that have different applications and technologies, which is fascinating. I think the important thing is how can they relate this then to, to industries and, and sell that vision, I think, accordingly. That, that's one thing that uh, I'm still waiting to see more so in this region. I think also globally, it's it's taking its time, but the moment it picks up, I think it's going to change a lot of things. So that's that's kind of on the, 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 the blockchain side. And obviously people have talked about it here uh, in Bahrain at a public level, at a private level. They've talked about it in the region. We just need to start seeing more traction to, to get that done. On the crypto side of things, I think what is important was also to, to tell people that, you know, Cryptos are built, you know, on obviously blockchain, but do not mix, for example, Bitcoin with blockchain or there's a whole realm or, uh, you know, uh, or industry around crypto assets. And it's not just, you know, trading uh, these, these assets or instruments, but it's also a whole payments infrastructure. 
You know, so you got to think about that also in a very different way. Obviously, there's, you know, people uh, fear crypto and, you know, decentralized. How can we regulate this? How can we control it? But, you know, the world is becoming more integrated, but also at the same time, they're starting to understand that, you know, we need to have alternative payments mechanisms. We're moving also now into a trust-based world. Trust-based world also means decentralization uh in certain cases so it's i see that as you know we got to keep pushing we got to keep raising the awareness and also i think importantly for people to really appreciate probably crypto and blockchain you know it's even investing a little bit and having a bit of exposure gets you involved or like we say dip your toes into this industry and, and starting to to better understand what it represents so a lot, a lot of, a lot of what I've been focusing on, and you know, even others was how can we, you know, obviously build that awareness, hopefully uh, give more comfort to to people about about this, and also to highlight the potential. And I think people are starting to to understand that as economies develop, as you know, and especially as we emerge from. COVID-19 pandemic, governments need to be more efficient, more lean. Um, and, and so I believe blockchain is going to represent a significant uh, opportunity. It's going to be a massive enabler. And I think that's that's where I think efforts should be focused on. I'm completely 100% with you. And I think we really need to highlight that because I think at the moment, I think the, the division between the three areas is becoming so dangerous at the same time because there's already multi-billion dollars companies being created without any regulatory part so that means i'm not going to mention names but let's say if one of some of these crypto exchanges just melt down and it's always good to have decentralized and all this kind of well west but when there's a pain i think everyone suffers so and especially creates a lot of distrust uh, um, for because i think finance and business is about trust first of all okay so so uh, last question, and I think we, I'm sure you're going to be talking much more in the future, but I want to touch that. So from your background and as well, um, we are amid, amid COVID-19, which is affecting a huge part of the world economy and creating a huge financial and economical um, disaster, probably the biggest since the Second World War. And in some ways, even probably more cost, more. Uh, dramatic because in the Second World War, at least people could go and meet with each other. Now yeah. we have this instability. Hopefully, the vaccination will come. But uh, we've been affecting, especially massive industry sectors like traveling, um, everything related to hospitality, tourism, and so forth. So, um, but at the same time, COVID really accelerated digital transformation, and we're still here doing this conference remotely and uh, a lot of events like we're organizing our own summit and things like that, that actually can be done and we can have actually a lot of things that would be almost probably unthinkable just a couple of uh, months ago. Um, so I would like just to hear your views of you see COVID-19 as an accelerator of digital transformation and as well as someone that has been on the educational side or at least in the coaching and training and work with these organizations, some advice that you have, and there's a lot of people that are interested as well to engage with, uh, with Bahrain and the different areas, how this can be a way to accelerate that. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. I think they, they recently did a survey in the US and they've obviously asked, who is the main driver of digital transformation in your institution? And you know, around roughly 80% said COVID-19. 
you know so that's that's kind of the main driver for that uh, i think we're definitely and i I've, I've, i i keep saying this uh the era of business as usual is gone we're in a new era and uh with covid-19 pandemic this has just accelerated that 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 changed significantly and uh, to your point businesses have now started to realize because they mentally blocked doing business in certain way working remotely um doing events remotely etc was i guess their initial thoughts and principles of of the way of doing business now they've discovered that um they can be pretty uh, efficient and and lean in doing that even traditional businesses that never contemplated uh doing remote work and adopting certain technologies are now uh at the cutting edge of of doing that so i think i think you know this change could well be permanent i, I do not believe we're going to go back to business as usual or uh whatever normal was for us pre covid-19 i think there's a new normal certain aspects will definitely go back but i think certain things will permanently be changed i do agree with you the world is a very interconnected place now now more than ever so the impact has been absolutely uh significant my advice and i always say this is uh there's always a lot of fear of artificial intelligence all of these new technologies the automation uh and obviously the elimination of of jobs and and obviously not only because of the economic fallout but also uh with the rise of technology and the acceleration of the rise of technology and its adoption post the pandemic but i would say it's important for individuals whether it's here in bahrain whether it's elsewhere to to really see how they can develop their knowledge further and move up the value chain whether it's the role they're doing or whether it's uh, evolving because you know certain jobs will disappear but a lot of other new jobs high quality high value jobs are going to be created so it's important now to understand uh where do you really stand in this new paradigm whether as an individual or whether as a business and so the continuous education uh embracing these changes i think is is very important and this period specifically it requires a lot of soul searching because i i believe the dust has still not settled down from the pandemic i think you know we will start fully comprehending what has happened probably by by next year and obviously hopefully there there's going to be a vaccine but by by that time businesses would have uh changed i think uh significantly so so I, my advice is always to to have an understanding of where the world is heading whether you're an individual or a business um and see how you can develop yourself to to play a much more effective role in this new world and obviously it would require uh transforming a lot of different things whether it's education traditional businesses governments and uh, i think the pandemic has just accelerated what was already naturally happening which is this whole digitalization uh wave and it's just brought it forward probably by 5 to 10 years at least and so let us see how we can turn this into an opportunity uh despite all of the negative impact both medically and economically 
uh, that this pandemic has has uh, has caused. So I think that's that's my my advice, and that's what I always try to do myself is understanding uh, all these new technologies. What does it mean for us? How can we leverage these technologies? Who are the key players that are playing, and how can we obviously benefit all from it? Completely, and that's very inspiring. I completely subscribe. So, um, Khalid, I have a lot of uh, other questions and things, but we'll take it for a second one. We passed one hour and 20 minutes. So it's a good, a good uh, call here. Thank you so much for fantastic insights. Um, well for the, the clarity about your knowledge. And it's quite, uh, I think, from a lot of people I've been interviewing, your knowledge in terms of fintech and as well, the ecosystem is It's really impressive. Thank you so much, Khalid. It's been an honor and a privilege as well. The, the pleasure is all mine. I appreciate uh, being on, uh, on your show and I uh, look forward to future interviews uh, with you and on your platforms. Uh, it's been a fantastic experience. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.